Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Sean Atkinson and I'm here with Tony Sager. Hey, Tony. Hey, Sean. So, Tony, today what we're going to talk about is the RSA conference. You're in a number of talks, so I want to uh, talk about those and really also uh, get your impression of the RSA conference as a whole. So the RSA conference, one of the biggest conferences in the world for cybersecurity, June 6th through 9th in San Francisco at the Moscone Center. So, Tony, how excited are you to get back uh, to RSA in person? Well, actually, I'm, I'm very excited, Sean. It's, um, you know, two years ago, RSA was the last, uh, I'll say, physical industry event that I attended. And, uh, you know, no one knew what was coming. So everything was shutting down for COVID. And there was even a lot of discussion about, you know, was, was RSA going to be held and all that kind of stuff and what would be the restrictions. And uh, so it was a bit of a blur a, a couple of years ago. Uh, not not realizing there would be two years of a blur uh, immediately following, but you know, I I um, this this industry is full of introverted people, <laughs> myself included, and I am really surprised how much I miss the energy, and the um, you know the friendship and the, the just sort of chaos of the big industry events, and so it's it's really going to be exciting, I think, to, to be back there. Uh, to get a sense of uh, kind of where things are going, to catch up with old friends and to, to see some of, the, some of the new trends that are hitting the industry. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's, you know, when we talk about RSA, it's um, it's like the, the, the worldwide developer conference from Apple. This is the cybersecurity version of that. Uh, and Tony, you're not only attending, but you're also contributing. You've got a number of sessions, I believe three in total over the three days. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Be careful what you hope for because <laughs> it might come true. So yeah, I have uh, two two sessions that were planned. Uh, one on uh, what's happening in the states in terms of encouraging cyber best practices. Another on what's happening with uh, cybersecurity nonprofits. And then a third I picked up uh, of a, a friend in the industry who has a, a medical uh, challenge and is unable to make the talk that he was going to give. So I'll be filling in for him on software supply chains. Fantastic. Fantastic. Tony, I'd actually like, uh, again, not to um, give any of the secrets, give any of the content out, but kind of go through in a very high level the sessions that you're going to be involved with, just to kind of give a preview of what we're going to be talking about, um, really from your perspective, and then also contributing again, as you said, you know, uh, we're partners in the industry, we're working with others, and you being able to contribute and help someone out is is fantastic, uh, obviously, just given your experience in the space. So I wonder if we could maybe start with one of your sessions uh, and just walk through some of the ideas, some of the thoughts. And I know we've had previous guests that are also going to be contributing and participating with you uh, in some of these talks as well. Yeah, my pleasure. Let me, let me start with the, the, the one that was really uh, primary for me, which is, uh, I called it, let's see, maximizing our cybersecurity nonprofits. And, um, you know, the, the notion of the talk, so, uh, you know, I spent the first 35 years of my career 
you know, working for a big federal government agency. And uh, most of the rest of my career has been at the Center for Internet Security, you know, one of the, a small but mighty uh, nonprofit, as we sometimes say. And what has really struck me in this second act is the uh, vital role that cybersecurity nonprofits play you know, across the entire ecosystem. And I'm, I'm not, you know, and nonprofits cover every everything you could imagine, you know, from representational and lobbying and general awareness and education and so forth. But I, I was particularly focused on uh, the nonprofits I'll call content creating or, you know, provide uh, directly services, products that really help shape what the industry uh, is doing and is going to be doing. And so I'm talking about folks like us, the Cloud Security Alliance and OWASP and you know, some of those those kinds of nonprofits. And as I, I thought about this uh, some time ago, I thought, you know what, we're, we actually play an incredibly important role that's often under the hood. You know, people don't realize the, the power and the leverage and the reach of these nonprofits. And I started to think about this a, a few years ago and say, you know what, imagine uh, if we, uh, and most, by the way, many of us are, are friends, right, you know, across these nonprofits. And so we, you know, we do things together, we're friends from government industry or wherever it happens to be, and we, we find things uh, ways to align ourselves. But what I really thought about was, imagine if we went out of our way to self-organize. So I was working on, you know, what we could accomplish if we really thought of ourselves as a, I'll call it a unified force for good. And um, it also struck me how important the role that nonprofits play has become in these complicated social and political times. That is, nonprofits are places where people already gather across boundaries, borders, segments of the industry, public and private, to create these products and, and provide these great services. And so, you know, I, one of the lessons I got in my career, of, you know, when you're trying to get people to agree on anything around technology and cybersecurity, the best place to start is places where they have already agreed, where they already agreed to work together and create content together and so forth. So this idea of the, the role of nonprofits in the industry at large was really intriguing to me. So I started to talk to a number of friends about it and um, actually put in a peer-to-peer -peer proposal for this at RSA in 2018, I believe it was, and it was not accepted. <laughs> you know, peer-to-peer -peer proposal is an informal gathering. Anyone who wants to come talk to this topic, uh, do so. But I continued to talk uh, the idea up among friends and a bunch of us got together and it became a theme for us to talk about. So I'm talking about folks like Phil Reitinger at the Global Cyber and places like that, you know, friends of ours. And uh, it started to build momentum. And so I put in a proposal for this year's RSA around the topic, which is, again, uh, a, a little bit of a uh, awareness talk. You know, here's what here's the role that cyber nonprofits play in the industry and how important it is. And a bit of a call to arms. Let's figure out what else we could get done in times of high social distrust, um, you know, the uh, potential balkanization of the internet, the, all these big themes that are floating around. It seems to me that we could play an even more important and more organized and more central role as nonprofits across the industry. So that was the general tone of the proposal that I put in. And I, I forget how many months ago you had to put that in. In parallel, we've actually uh, stood up a uh, loose collaborative of cybersecurity nonprofits called Cyber Nonprofits. And uh, you know, Phil Reitinger and I are the co-chairs of that. And we have, I think, 30-something now nonprofits. And this is a, a goodwill gathering. You know, we all agree to go out of our way to work together wherever possible. 
And so we'll talk about that a little bit in our essay also, see what might might be uh, available there. Our goal was not to build a structured yet another nonprofit of nonprofits, but to have a kind of unifying force, right? And a reason to meet and to find reasons to work together and a and sort of a goodwill statement that we will do things together. So that's that's uh, the, the primary uh, proposal that I put in for RSA and and uh, thankfully was accepted and it's become, you know, there's, there's nothing like having a deadline to uh, sort of crystallize your thinking and say, you know what, now I need, really need to work on this. So that's what I've been doing over the last several months. Fantastic, that's great. Tony, are you gonna be speaking with anybody or is this uh, just you for, for the nonprofit session? Well, for nonprofits, I'll be joined by my friend, uh, Kirsten Tott. Uh, now, Kirsten is currently the chief of staff for uh, CISA at, at Homeland Security. And um, But th at the time I put the proposal in, Kirsten was running the uh, Cyber Readiness Institute, another uh, important cyber nonprofit. So the idea was I was looking for a speaking partner that would represent kind of a different part of the nonprofit ecosystem. And so that worked out perfectly. Uh, after we put the proposal in, then she was selected for the job downtown. And so I gave her an option. I gave her a chance to uh, to drop out. And she said, no, I actually am more interested now uh, working for the federal government in really helping to mobilize the community of nonprofits around the, I'll, I'll call it the national imperative, but the really the, the system-wide imperative to improve security across the entire uh, uh, internet. So, so it'll be an interesting perspective in that. So, and Kirsten has worked in private industry, has worked in government, nonprofit, now is back in government. So she really covers a fair amount of ground there. You know, me, I'm, I have kind of a boring career. I just spent my you know, first, first career in federal service, never, never had any intention of doing anything different. And then uh, basically a nonprofit ever since. So I wouldn't know how to run a for-profit thing if, if it hit me. <laughs> But but I think between the two of us, it gives a pretty uh, wide and balanced perspective. No, absolutely. Yeah. Let me just give uh, some of the logistic information, Tony, uh, for those that are attending. This will be on Wednesday, June 8th. It's actually 1.15 at Moscone West 2005. So be there uh, for this session, which, Tony, again, one of your primaries. And it's such an extremely important topic and uh, really where, uh, you know, the foundation of CIS as an organization is built upon. It is these ideals. So that's absolutely fantastic. So, Tony, that's not the only one uh, you'll be uh, also doing. Um, what's the next one you'd, you'd like to review uh, that you'll be uh, participating in? Sure. Yeah, the next one, I'll be on a panel uh, hosted by Brian Ray. And Brian is a uh, law professor at, uh, I think it's called the Cleveland Marshall School of Law and runs their cyber program. And we'll be talking about, I think... Uh, I think it's one of the most important trends in terms of adoption of cybersecurity that we that we see nationally. And uh, the, the general notion, and I, I don't have the, the title, hold on a second. it's called the state of the states. I, I know it's something like that because I make up titles like that because I love a bit, <laughs> bit of wordplay. The state of cyber incentives, that's what it is. Creative laws driving better security. And the idea, and, and it, it also... Um, uh, plays on this notion of uh, trust and the role that we all have in cybersecurity. So Brian is one of the people behind the Ohio Data Protection Act, uh, which has really turned out to be a groundbreaking uh, bit of state legislation. And the, 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 the model is this, rather than try to force regulation in a mandatory top-down, you know, you'll do this if you do business in Ohio and uh, handle this kind of data, for example, um, 
the, the notion is to incentivize the adoption of better practice as defined in things like the NIST cybersecurity framework and the CIS controls. So the, the notion is it points to these uh, open, well-established structures for best practices and incentivizes the adoption of them, not by trying to force it on people, but by providing some sort of positive or absence of negative uh, incentive. In this particular case in, in Ohio, it's about um, protection from liability. So the notion is that if you uh, demonstrate a reasonable use of a reasonable security practice as defined in these open uh, frameworks, then you will be granted the safe harbor or this liability protection. And I'm, I'm cartooning this as a non-lawyer, but that's kind of the, the rough idea here. And the and um, now reasonable is one of those topics that's left to uh, both the reader and the law to figure out, or the courts to figure out. So, uh, but but the the notion is an important one. That is, uh, you know, if you have a documented security program. So this is not about I'm at this level of security perfection or nirvana. It's I have a an active program that's based upon established principles. Then uh, you you are given this. Uh, uh, protection against liability or protection of, uh, against liability. And so the, the, the notion there helps businesses look at this more clearly as a as a risk decision for the business as opposed to a technology adoption question. And this idea, I think, is a really big idea here. And uh, so that this has been discussed in uh, law circles, you know, among state legislators. And now we're seeing an uptick in interest in the model. So our friends in Connecticut have taken a similar but slightly different approach. Um, we also have Utah as another example. And then another several other states have discussed this. Uh, there are proposals that uh, have not passed or that are coming up that are all aimed in the same general direction, though, this incentivized adoption. And uh, th they tend to be localized. So the, the model, and I forget the model, I think in Connecticut is about um, uh, protection uh, against punitive damages in a particular type of court case. But all of them provide this sort of either positive or absence of a negative uh, uh, model that helps uh, businesses make a decision about the, the, uh, the way they'll develop a cybersecurity program. So we are both tracking this from CIS, but we're also participants in it. Right? So we're discussing this topic and looking for kind of the shining examples, right? The ways that we can help people with this. And I, I think one of the things we have discussed in, in prior episodes, Sean, is about, you know, what I'll call the, um, uh, the uh, what did I call it before? <laughs> I know I called it something clever, but it escapes me. So drop this one, Chad. Uh, but this is consistent with some themes we've discussed in earlier podcasts, Sean, around the ideas, uh, cybersecurity moving from a technology-oriented focus to a business focus. That is a decision to invest, for example, in technical controls for cybersecurity to minimize the risk there competes with other risk decisions around uh, you know, safety, public health, reputation, all kinds of business factors. And uh, that can make technologists uncomfortable, but it's actually the right decision socially, right? It's the it's the way we need to think of the investment in cybersecurity. And so framing the cybersecurity choices you know, how, what should I do technically and uh, what should I do first has always been at the heart of what CIS does. And this provides a natural route to, I'll call it the leap from technology to public policy or to, you know, to business decision making. 
So this is the, the really the topic of this panel. So it'll be hosted by Brian Ray, who's really one of the nation's leading thinkers about this and a friend of CIS. Uh, I'll be there. Uh, uh, Kirk, um, Kirk Harris from Ohio will also be there. And uh, we have a guest that's being worked out right now. We had a, a person lined up from Connecticut, but we've had some um, um, needed to make a late change. But the, but the, the notion, we'll, we'll talk about what's going on in the states present some of these examples, some of the goods and the bads, and sort of where, where do we think this is going to go and what the value does it really hold for the community at large as a great example. Uh, just last, uh, I guess two weeks ago, I was in uh, Ohio on a panel hosted by Brian Ray. That's a little bit of a precursor to this event here at RSA. It was very focused on their, their work there, but it was a, a chance to explore some of these topics and to, to think through the Again, this this intersection or this convergence of technology and public policy. Absolutely. No, I think it's, uh, you know, when we had, had our discussion, it was such a breath of fresh air in the industry of not being, um, you know, the, the negative connotation uh, in this space and, and really incentivizing it. And then one of the other elements, too, is, is the integration of privacy regulation is, is taken kind of the this quasi-legal element and pushed it into the cyber domain uh, where uh, thought leaders uh, such as Brian Ray have been able to uh, incentivize and, uh, and really build programs. As you mentioned, uh, it's great to see the CIS controls there um, as a capability that we, we know exists. And it's great to see that being emphasized and through public policy uh, is really getting some impetus, which is, is fantastic. So that's going to be another phenomenal panel. Yeah, I think, Sean, one, one thing I should mention also is that I think it's also uh, fair to call it an illustration of the uniqueness of the Center for Internet Security. Our, our relationship with the states, uh, you know, on the one hand, as, as the multi-state ISAC, but also as leading technologists, uh, advice givers, you might call us in cybersecurity, th this really is something that we, could, that we can uniquely pull off. That is, again, we're in an ongoing dialogue every day with state and local governments who are grappling with this problem, but we can bring this technical perspective and try to align these two uh, very naturally. So it, you know, in, in hindsight, it's like, well, this is exactly what we should be doing because you know, who, who else is in, in a unique position to do this? It's also fair to think of the states, and this has happened, you mentioned privacy legislation, but also in other technology areas where you, you might from the sort of national level think of the states as kind of the, the places where things happen first, you know, there, there might be chaos in D.C. and you know, struggles with what does national legislation look like. But the states, I think, feel very close to the problem. You know, they're at the last mile. They have to protect businesses doing business in their states. And so you, you might see them as each moving out quickly because they're really close to this. And so that's that's good. It, it creates a little chaos, right, because the, the big giants in the industry don't want to deal with 50 different state regulatory schemes or incentive schemes. But that's not the way these things normally work out. You normally get momentum in the states first, and then the notion of maybe we need to do something at the national level. So again, I think the story is still to be written on, on how big this will get, but we're very excited to be a part of it. And I, I do think it really fits uh, what both the industry, what we need as an industry, but also what the decision makers and policymakers need. Absolutely. I think it goes to your previous talk with the nonprofit being able to do that and just we're doing it for security's sake, not really for anything else. It's, it's a huge message. And uh, it's great to see all the work, you know, from your initial idea of the controls to be validated all the way through to their evolution to today 
it is just it's phenomenal it's great to see and uh such a such an opportunity that uh you've taken i mean i, I think you know the, the way you'd mentioned it before to me has been you know it was a, it was the back of the napkin type of scenario and to see it go from that idea to now being required by law to incentivize cybersecurity across states uh, and the nation is it, amazing. It, it is a it is a bit <laughs> overwhelming, Sean. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, as I as I've shared uh, humbly about the controls, I, I never dreamed it would become a big thing. It was literally an afternoon conversation with really smart friends, and you know, and, and an honest attempt to help people get started. And um, now, I think that spirit is part of what brought me here to to CIS, right? This sort of notion of service, you know, that is, we're not, we're not trying to create the gold-plated standard that no one can meet. We're trying to help people get improvement and uh, do it in a rational way and a consistent way. So yeah, I think, I think that all fits. And again, if I, if I had a bigger vision of all this, maybe we could have gotten there faster, but uh, maybe not. Yeah, no, I, I think it's uh, it, it's funny because it's the pace of innovation and the continuous improvement. Sometimes uh, the idea has to wait for other organizations to reach that level of maturity to even understand it, and then the you know the industry as a whole uh, uh, needed to to get to your level of thought, as it were, uh, p p putting oh. these things forward. <laughs> I, I know about that, but I appreciate. It. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. So let me just give the logistics for anybody attending. Uh, this will be Monday, June 6th. Uh, this will be 10.50 a.m. in Moscone West, 2001. So 2001 Moscone West for this particular panel talk. Fantastic. So Tony, you have a busy Monday because I believe you also have a second session on Monday. I do. Yeah, this was a, a bit of a surprise, but it was um, the it was a two person discussion on the topic of software supply chains. And the title is, is a secure software supply chain even possible, let alone feasible? And the, the, the two members of the panel, my friend uh, John Pescatore of the Sands Institute and uh, Steve Lipner of uh, SafeCode. Uh, so John has um, asked me to fill in for him. And, uh, you know, we, we have discussed this topic for gosh, many, many years, I'll say. And Steve Lipner uh, was formerly with Microsoft. So he and I go back at least a couple of decades in talking about these, these topics here. So, But the idea is to, to and, and it's a really timely topic, you know, imagine all the things that have happened in the last year around the things like SolarWinds and Log4j. And, you know, we have talked about supply chains forever in this business, you know, and the importance of them and, you know, schemes to manage them and so forth. But wow, it's really uh, come up close and personal here lately and really large scale, you know, and that's that's not uh, unexpected, right? That you, one of the lessons of cybersecurity and over his, history is that, you know, by the time you figure out how to defend one part of your system, the attacker goes to some other part. You know, the, a lot of the, our early days were spent on the hardening operating systems. In fact, that's really part of the origin of uh, the Center for Internet Security. And, uh, you know, as you, as you do a better job with that, the attackers go after the applications and, you know, you get better with the applications and they start looking at, well, I, I need something, I want something with greater scale and maybe a little more permanence. Hmm, where do they get their software? That sounds like a good place to attack to me. And, you know, and it's, it is um, that kind of attack used to be, in the domain of the really well-positioned, well-resourced attackers, 
but the finding of these kinds of problems in you know that we've seen lately have really made turned these into mass market problems in, a, in an unexpected and in a highly scalable way. So the, the conversation in that panel and a little bit uh, back and forth between Steve Lipner and, and me is around the um, you know, what are the real challenges there? There are lots of resources you know, from this documents and all kinds of standards and tools and, and measurements and so forth. And Steve has seen this from, you know, the giant vendor perspective, right, from Microsoft's. And now he's been working on some of these issues across vendors with Safecode and his nonprofit uh, second or third or fourth career. And, um, you know, I, I saw this from, uh, primarily from the government side in sort of how do I know that software I'm bringing into my enterprise and does it does it how does it change my risk profile what are the decisions i need to make what what data or evidence or artifacts do i need to help me understand better uh, what risk i'm bringing into this so this whole supply chain thing has been um, you know the, the subject of analysis for decades and uh, i think we'll we'll kind of lay the problem out we're going to talk about some of the the um, uh, opportunities and, and advice for uh, smaller companies to think about this problem also because I think that's that's where it's coming. Is we're all we all need to give it some level of thought. Now, like everything else in cybersecurity, you know, there's the sort of really highly resourced companies that have done a lot of work in this area and have a lot of control over their their supply chains, or at least they believe they do. And then there's sort of the rest of us who really don't have the ability to manipulate or change, uh, um, you know, our suppliers easily, and or to make the even have the information to make those kinds of decisions. So we'll talk about some of the things that we think are practical to do that it would at least help help um, uh, frame the problem well from a risk decision-making point of view. But the, the again, it's a really timely topic. Uh, as as um, some of our audience might know, I've been involved in the uh, Cyber Safety Review Board. And obviously this is a really hot topic there because we're studying Log4j. Uh, in, and there are some unique uh, challenges represented by open source software. And these are, you know, the, the uh, uh, central to the to the way we implement and operate the uh, you know the uh, internet today, and so uh, you know we don't get to wish away these kinds of supply chain uh, challenges. And you know, Sean, you you live and breathe this every day. I mean, for me, this is a, a slight bit of an abstraction, but you know, this is part of the role that you play for us at CIS is making these decisions about uh, the suppliers, right? And we are both a, a a computing enterprise that has suppliers and we have to make those decisions. And then we, we interact with others where they're sending us their supply chain questionnaires and their, you know, their, their requirements for us to be a part of their uh, business enterprise also. So, so that, that's the notion here. I don't, I don't know that we'll have a solution to the supply chain problem in, in uh, 40 minutes or whatever, but we'll certainly uh, frame the problem and have some concrete uh, suggestions for the audience. At all. Absolutely. No, that's great. I mean, like you say, a timely topic, and and one of the one of the harder challenges in security at this point in time, because it's as you mentioned, you've got open software, you have different paradigms of development uh, in terms of reuse and integration, uh, but then it's also the responsibility is you know pass through. It's not just a single entity that can control. It's a number. It's an ecosystem. It's a life cycle, and. Having control over all of that um, from third party, fourth party, fifth, sixth, seventh, I mean, it just permeates uh, many layers of uh, control. And, and so to your point, 
you know, as I address this internally from a vendor risk perspective and an integration perspective, it's um, it's a difficult challenge. So uh, again, uh, very timely. Uh, and one of the things that I know, uh, again, with uh, some of your other work is you're uh, addressing these through use cases uh, and uh, really delving deep into the problem itself. So uh, can't wait to get the feedback from that as well as, as well as the talk as well. This is, that's fantastic uh, because it's, truly truly needed and it's as we look i think you, you you know you mentioned the attacker mindset and it's looking at where good good enough controls exist right i, I want to go for the weakest link in the chain so okay so the uh, you know pardon the pun for supply chain but let's go uh, with the chain uh, analogy and we're looking for the weakest link and you you know you really kind of permeate into your point you know what's integrated what's part of an infrastructure uh, SolarWinds. Okay, now let's take a look at that particular uh, element. Now, what else is integrated from an open source perspective, which is integrated into thousands of tools and uh, products, Log4j. And then it's, you know, the, the evolution we're seeing now is maybe uh, application programmable interfaces, APIs, being another attack vector and, and just being able to understand the methodology helps you know, from a defender perspective to try and understand that mindset, think red in order to protect with blue in terms of the red team, blue team paradigm. But being able to think like that is it's going to be quite important as well. Uh, and so, um, you know, your talk, as you mentioned, very timely uh, and a lot more work to be done in this space um, with us and uh, again, other uh, other members of the market uh, in terms of doing this protection, both from a non-profit and for-profit perspective. Fantastic. So from a logistics perspective, um, you have a very busy Monday. This is again, Monday, June 6th, uh, 2.20 p.m. Moscone West, 2009-2009. Fantastic. So Tony, we've gone through, you've got a quite a number of uh, speaking engagements. I wonder if we could uh, maybe uh, talk about some tips for those attending RSA, maybe for the first or second time. What's the best way to, one, get the right information, uh, be in the right place at the right time, because this is distributed. This is not one building. This is multiple buildings. This is huge. It's, you know, you kind of take downtown, uh, uh, really become security central uh, for a lot of the world with a lot of very important people, a lot of very important talks taking place. I um, want to get some of the tips that you've uh, either developed or enhanced over the years in terms of uh, participating and attending. Yeah, a couple couple of things that, that I'd offer to folks who have not been a part of this before. Number one, uh, wear your good walking shoes because there's a lot of schlepping around in San Francisco and uh, it's a delightful city to walk through. And there's lots of walking, as you said, across multiple buildings, uh, the two halves of the Moscone or the multiple portions of the Moscone Center. There's a lot to see. And, it's, and it, it is overwhelming. I mean, it could just wear you out. What I did uh, several times, actually, when I uh, first left government and uh, spun out into a small nonprofit company, one of the things I would do, I think, uh, I believe it's Monday night, they open the display floor as a kind of a walk around and get introduced thing. I, I And I would take... Uh, the young people from the company, I'll say, and uh, just take them on a walk around. And here's the older guy's perspective on what to see. And the goal was to do kind of a quick skim to get a sense for the language, the buzzwords, the um, you know, kind of the 
where was the energy in all this and and not get think think of it as sort of a scouting trip to get a sense for what was going on and what i was usually looking for were things like uh you know the old wine in new bottles right you'll you'll see this year everything has been relabeled as zero trust or uh you, you know whatever and and that's that's the way the industry works right it's it's noisy it's uh, foggy in the cis terminology and uh and that's natural there's a lot of things that all sound kind of sound the same or similar that are a little hard to get a handle on and uh so you the the first advice is to kind of get a sense for what that looks like if you can find someone who's been around who will take you on that guided tour i would recommend it i think it's fun and if you're a you know, if you're a seasoned veteran in this business and you're out there with your uh, f friends from your company, then volunteer to do that. Number one, it'll help you, but it also is a great service that you can provide to folks who just don't get overwhelmed. Uh, the other th uh, bit of advice I'd offer is um, uh, take a look at the keynotes, C catch the keynotes. Uh, you know, these are the big companies that put lots of money into this, right? So we're talking the industry giants. And yes, you will see the most polished uh, PowerPoint you'll ever see, right? These are not people like me knocking out a presentation. This, these are, you know, I'm sure they have entire teams that do this, uh, but, they're, but they're fairly short. You know, there'll be 20, I forget the 20 to 40 minute kind of range. And you get a sense for how the big companies are framing the problem. How, how do they present it? Now, remember, this is marketing also. But it, I found that really valuable to get a sense for what the CEOs and the big leaders are, the way they talk about the problem. And, and you know, it's it's a atmospheres thing, right? These these open the event, it's a big room, you know, flashy lights and all kinds of uh, uh, show that go with that. If you don't, if you're not interested in going to that, I believe they live stream all of that uh, in addition. And so I've watched those. But that that gives that another way to get a sense for what's going on uh, in the industry and again, how does the how do the big companies view themselves and their role and how do they present, uh, you know, you know, you're looking for solutions to your problems, right? So they want to present that they are the solutions to your problems. And so I think that's a, a, a good way to get a sense for that. And once the uh, event goes on, I mean, you know, if you've done followed the RSA model and it you know, depends on if you're just there for kind of exhibition stuff or for um, uh, uh, specific technical sessions also, uh, you know, I would kind of pick and choose your sessions uh, carefully, because it, it, it is overwhelming and you can get uh, just sort of blurred from all the things that are going on there. Uh, one thing that we did as a company in, uh, last time out that I'd also recommend, again, if you're there with a group, then attend as a group. Uh, you know, maybe a divide and conquer uh, spread out. What we did, I, I think it was started a few years ago, uh, Sean, we set up a Slack channel that where people could, you know, hey, I saw something like this. You know, is this interesting? Is this something new? You know, there was sort of an ongoing dialogue among CIS employees to sort of spot things that are out there or oh, I'm hearing a really interesting talk about this or does anyone know that? And I, I think that's a really um, fun and interesting way for a company to approach this, right? Or even if you're not there with a the company, then with your friends, you know, make some agreement that you will chat about these kinds of things. And I think that helps you can get a bigger reach than you would normally uh, you know, on your own, but also give you a sense for what's going on elsewhere, uh, because you're not going to be able to cover more than a fraction of of uh, the things that are happening there. As I recall, John, I, we also and we I love to throw things in to make it fun. Uh, so I think we did we have a sock contest uh, a couple of years ago. That was like the hot thing, right? Vendors were giving away socks, so the idea was, you know, go to the vendor, 
you know, schmooze your way, get a pair of socks, put a photo of that on our Slack channel here. And then, then we got the creative mixing of uh, different models of socks there. And, you know, and it was just a way to break the energy and, and, uh, you know, have a laugh at ourselves and, and what was going on out there. So, so I, I think that, you know, if you can find a, a, a gang of friends, a, a set of cohorts or company, you know, uh, company friends to work with to help uh, spread your attention around. I think you'd find that a really valuable way to approach this also. But again, old, older folks like I, I can walk through it. I, I, I can probably 60, 80% sort of spot that, you know what, this is relabeling of old stuff. And, and that's a helpful thing. And if you can, you know, if you've been around a while and you want to share that with folks, I, I think that's great. The other last bit of advice I'll give is, you know, when I you know, natural introvert in my family, I used to find those, um, shows really uh, kind of overwhelming and even a little bit intimidating, you know, walking the floor. It's like, well, I'm not sure what to ask anybody, right? So I'm just kind of wandering. And it took me a while to realize, you know, the, the people working these things are typically trained professionals, right? And they're much more interested in you because they want to get you in a conversation about, you know, what, what they can do to help you there. And so once I learned to think of it as this is both a learning experience, but also, you know, there, there are no dumb questions because, you know, they're there to, you know, to try and figure out what I'm all about so that they can find some, some niche and to get my contact information through the scanning of the card or whatever's going on there. But it's, it's really uh, more fun to start uh, sort of digging in. And if you're still struggling with that, what I used to do, I'd, I'd send my young folks to like the local trade shows in the DC area and just say, when you go to this big show, here's a topic I'd like you to track down. You know, what's happening in the penetration testing market, for example? Go find every company that's that's doing something in there and talk to them. How do they represent themselves? What is the value that they're presenting, right? Get their diagram, get their trifold, get their handout. Because, and, and I found that helped a lot of people rather than sort of kind of wander into the place to say, let's figure out what's happening in this segment of the market. Let's make that our homework assignment. Then we'll talk about that after the, you know, after that conference is over when you come back. And I found that was a good way to guide uh, young people who were, kind of new to all the buzz and the noise of a, you know, a big industry trade show. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, a couple tips from my side. There's going to be some lines, uh, especially for the larger uh, presentations. And uh, also uh, be responsible. There's some great after, after conference parties and things of that nature. So uh, just be safe, be responsible, uh, enjoy it. Obviously, it's an experience. I mean, literally, uh, there is a buzz in the air when uh, RSA is in town. And, uh, and and so being a part of it, enjoy it, get the information and, and contribute. You know, you'll be standing in lines and just, uh, you know, starting a conversation because it's it's literally filled with like minded professionals that have something to say or something to discuss or a question to ask, to your point, uh, Tony. So uh, being able to have that is uh, interesting. No, that's so uh, yeah, that's a wonderful advice, Sean, because you know, this and this is my experience and you've been around you know, a long time here, Sean that um, this business is full of really smart and really interesting people. And there is a energy that you get from them, right? You know, that you can learn from. And that uh, I used to call it the two degrees of freedom business, right? If you talk long enough to anybody, you'll find you have a friend in common or some project that you both worked on or some company that you were both at at some point there. So yeah, just reach out. Cause I, I, I think you've, uh, you've nailed it. There's a lot of uh, social interaction. So yeah, it's not all parties and uh, swag and all that kind of stuff. There's, uh, there are some of that, of course. And in fact, um, you know, uh, I might mention also that for the audience, we'll have our first ever CIS uh, booth at RSA. 
So that's a big step for us as a company. Definitely is. Definitely is. So with that, Tony, I think uh, we'll call that a show for today. Um, to our audience, we hope you enjoyed the discussion. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a single episode. You can also follow CIS on social media for the latest cybersecurity news and updates. Until next time, I'm Sean Atkinson. And I'm Tony Sager. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure.